and welcome back to another episode of the Practice Players Podcast. This is episode number 21, and today we're joined by Sean Farnham. Sean is currently a college basketball analyst at ESPN, and Sean has also been a basketball player at UCLA and assistant coach at Pepperdine University. Sean, it is great to have you. Uh, you know, I, I get requests to do a lot of uh, different media stuff throughout the course of the year. But, uh, Daniel, when uh, you told me about what you guys are doing here on this podcast and then you reached out, this is a no-brainer because uh, I just love I love what you three are doing. Uh, I think it's fun. I think the bond of basketball, the relationship that basketball can bring to people uh, through the sport uh, is the best uh, of the game. And it's something that, that lasts a lifetime. It doesn't just last for a season, for two, for three, uh, the, com- the the blood, sweat, and tears that you guys have gone through together uh, has has created a love and a bond of the game, and and it shows with the work that you guys do. I'm, I'm a little upset, to be honest. Uh, you guys had Billis on episode 19, I believe. Um, you know, I would have thought that with my personal relationship with you, Daniel, in particular, David and Nick, I don't hold this against you, uh, but Daniel, with our personal relationship and our history, the fact you went to the Billustrator before me. It's kind of offensive, uh, even though I understand why he is the face that runs the place at ESPN. So we appreciate that, and we acknowledge the king that Jay Billis is. Well, I was I was going with the save the best for last mentality when it comes to ESPN analysts. That's why you are cool. Can we him. clip that and you guys send it to Jay, and we'll see if he comes on your podcast next year after you just said that. <laughs> he doesn't speak for the rest of us. We value all equally. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Uh, Sean, just to the people who don't know you, uh, if you could explain your life journey, your basketball journey, and how you are in the place today. Sure. I, I think that, uh, you know, you fall in love with the game at some point in time, right? Like, I, I remember, you know, I think a lot of kids don't do it the way I used to do it. We didn't have all the skill trainer stuff, you know, eight dribble combinations, cones, pads, hitting people, you know, all this crazy things you guys are all doing nowadays uh, with the game. Uh, so a lot of times it was just you and a basketball and a hoop. And uh, I was lucky enough, uh, my dad tore up half of our backyard grass and uh, we built like a little basketball, like cement and put a, put a hoop in it. And I would go out there and I would pretend I'm Larry Johnson, Stacy Ogman. I love that UNLV team. Uh, I fell in love with the game. The first college basketball game I ever saw was St. Mary's versus LMU about two weeks before Hank Gathers passed away. Uh, final score was 131-110 in regulation. I mean, it was just, it was gorgeous to watch. And I was like, man, I want to be part of this game so bad. And I just would go out and work on my own all the time. And I was fortunate enough to play at a great high school in De La Salle up in Northern California. My senior year, we went to the state championship. Uh, from that game, I got offered 30 scholarships, 35 scholarships, because uh, it was a different recruiting time than it is now. I played for the Oakland Soldiers uh, on, on the club circuit. Um, and it, it was just, you know, you didn't have video, you didn't have Instagram, you didn't have all the things that people have now to hype themselves up. And so coaches actually had to come watch you play for you to be seen. And uh, after that state championship game, we had a ton of offers and uh, got a card that had Jim Herrick's phone number on the back of it. And I called Coach Herrick the next day and he said, hey, you want to be a Bruin? And I said, sure. And he goes, hey, I'm not offering you a scholarship. I've only seen you play one game. And I had to tell my parents that I was turning down all those scholarship offers uh, to go walk on to UCLA. And uh, luckily enough, I, I earned the scholarship before the start of my freshman year, uh, sleeping on couches at managers' houses. 
Um, you know, Tony Luffman was my manager at UCLA. He now works for the NHL Network. Um, but he he would sleep on his couch. I slept on Bob Myers' couch, who was our senior captain. Of course, was general manager uh, of the uh, Golden State Warriors for such a long period of time during that run, their championship runs. Just stepped down this this past summer, um, and I, I just worked. And uh, the seniors had gone into Coach Eric and said, "This guy's working his tail off." And uh, they ended up like, putting me on scholarship before the start of my freshman year. Played at UCLA, went into coaching at Pepperdine, got out of coaching. Uh, and went into broadcasting where I've been there now since, jeez, uh, 2001. So it's been, a, it's been a good stretch. It's officially now a career. I think when you get over 20 years, you can say it's been a career. So it's, it's been a career for me so far. Um, you got in touch to it a little bit. You said, you know, you started as a walk-on at UCLA. And then obviously getting onto a scholarship, being a big part of the rotation. Walk us through kind of how that happened. Well, I, again, like it, it really was something I earned over the course of the summer just by showing up, never missing workouts, you know, being on time, um, you know, being accountable. And then I played and I, and I played well enough that at least two of the captains had gone into Coach Eric and said, like, this guy could maybe help our team. Uh, and then, unfortunately, Coach Eric got relieved of his duties pretty quickly thereafter. And so it was like a little bit of a changing of a role as far as how I was seen. Uh, Coach Lavin saw me differently than, than Coach Herrick saw me. Um, and so, you know, as, as a player, when you're in high school and on the club circuit with, with the Oakland soldiers, I was like, back then they had like this BCI tournament. I was named BCI all American with guys like Mike Bibby and Tim Thomas. Like, I mean, it, it was good. And I was good. And I was the guy that in high school told my coach when I didn't want to, when I wanted a break, like he didn't take me out of the game. I, I told the coach like, Hey, I need a quick one and I would get one. Otherwise I stayed out on the floor. Uh, in the state championship game that we played my senior year, I played the entire game until we were we were going to lose uh, the game. We ended up losing by like ten, uh, but uh, that was the only time I got pulled out. With that was like with a minute and fifteen seconds left to go in the game, and so um, to go from that to playing nine games and thirty minutes as a freshman was pretty hard to swallow. Like because you're sitting there and you're busting it every day at practice, and you're looking around and you're going like. Hey, why, like, why I can't get on the court? Like, what, what's going on? But I think part of that, and you guys know this because you see it all the time. Like, I'll never forget the first time I went and played pickup at UCLA, and I went to my go-to move in high school, which was like a reverse layup, right? Like, I, I used to utilize the rim, shield the shot blocker, be able to finish. If I if I didn't, wasn't going for the dunk, that's what I went for, and I went for the reverse layup, and I swear the ball is some somehow some way still embedded in the wall of the wooden center on the campus of UCLA because Jelani McCoy swatted that thing so damn hard. I thought the ball was going to explode. And it was at that moment, uh, you know, there's like that meme at this moment, he knew he beeped up. Like that's kind of like how I felt in that moment. Like I was like, Oh, so that's not going to work here. So now I got to figure out what I can do here. That's going to help me be successful. And there's a there's a maturation process that goes within that. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you were Baron Davis. You know his transition was a lot smoother and a lot quicker when he came on campus. Um, but you know I, I had to kind of figure out who I was and how I was going to find a way to make a difference at UCLA. And after really not playing, um, I was the human victory cigar or the human white flag for for two years. You know, okay, we're up enough. Put Farnham in. Oh, the game's over. We're going to lose. Put Farnham in. And when I got to my junior year, I was just 
really frustrated. I was like, I got to figure out a way to do something that nobody else on the team wanted to do. And what I figured out was nobody wanted to do the dirty things. Nobody wanted to set the hard screen. Everybody wanted to score. Nobody wanted to catch the ball and just reverse it, not even looking for their shot to keep the timing of the offense going. Nobody wanted to dive over the scorer's table for a loose ball. Nobody wanted to take charges. Nobody wanted to be the physical guy. And so really what I did was um, I, I just dedicated myself to putting on weight. And I got up to about 245 pounds. Uh, I was doing creatine. Uh, I was lifting, weight gaining shakes, 2,000 calorie weight gaining shakes twice a day, you know, six chicken breasts. Like, I mean, like it was a ridiculous diet. Um, and it was work. It was work for me to eat that much. Um, but I was able to put on the weight and I came back and had improved my, my, my max on, on the bench from like 255 to 310 and like, just like really changed my entire being is who I was. And, and I started to practice and just started doing it. And I never forget, you know, the junior year we played in Arizona, Arizona was undefeated. They're 14 to no seventh in the country. Uh, we were like 14th in the country at the time. And it was like the day after new year's Eve. And they said, Hey, Lav goes, Hey, who wants to start? You guys obviously don't want to be here today. And they didn't, they all had a great time on new year's as you guys probably attest to being on your campuses. Sometimes new year's is a, New Year's Day practice is a little difficult for some players uh, that choose to do certain things. Uh, I never chose to do, the, do those type of things that were going to put me in jeopardy at practice. And I said, Coach, I'll start. And he goes, fine, you're starting. And I was like, what? I was like, why? I thought you were joking with that. Um, and I ended up starting, and I, I scored like the third basket of the game, and we ended up beating Arizona that was an undefeated team by like 20. And then like the rest kind of – went the way that it was like I, I I didn't start the next game after that we ended up losing a bunch of games he goes back to me in the starting lineup we start winning more games and over my my two years and I started a majority of the games my senior year uh, but over the final two years of the regular season I never lost a game in which I started in the regular season we were undefeated uh, and that includes beating Mark Madsen and Casey Jacobson's number one Stanford on their home floor on senior day uh, it wasn't just, you know, I mean, it's the pack. It was the pack 10 back then. Great conference. Arizona's teams were great. Um, I never lost a game. I started in the regular season. I have two losses as a starter. Both of them came in the NCAA tournament. And a lot of people would look at my stats and go, well, dude, you like barely scored. I was like, you're right. Because when you looked at our roster, you're like, Oh wait, we got Chase Capono, Earl Watson, uh, Dan Gadzurek, Jerome Moiso, Matt Barnes, like, you really want Sean Farnham taking shots? That's a bad shot. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, it's just a bad shot because you got guys that are pros out on the court. Like, you want them taking shots. You don't want me taking shots. And I had to figure out a way that I could help those guys get better and be better, and I did. And uh, while my minutes were uh, sometimes limited, other times not, um, I'm very proud of, of how things ended at UCLA and uh, the, the path that it created for me in life, but the lessons that I also learned um, being part of that, because it would have been really easy after my sophomore year of playing only 18 minutes to walk away and say, I'm going to go transfer somewhere else. I could go start right now at you know 25 other schools that would take me right away that wanted me out of high school. Um, and instead, I, I stayed, and that that – I think has been something that I've learned from and I've taken that trait uh, throughout my professional life now. Yeah, well, 
First off, I want to apologize to whoever had to pay for your meal plan with those six chicken breasts a day. It was good. Costco. That was Costco, my man. Costco, you go get a bag of chicken. Like, just like, you know, I, I couldn't afford, like, the real organic chicken stuff that you get now that had, like, the red label on it. I got the frozen, like, chicken breast bag that was, like, you know, just put them on the, the grill. Uh, yeah, either that or we had the grease burgers, which, you know, again, weren't, like, the meat that you would actually pound and make a hamburger. It was the, the prepackaged frozen, like, little thing that has, like, that little sheet of paper in between them that you just put on there and it just sizzles. Uh, so it was, it was that, that was what I was rocking, but it was the Costco membership that really came through. Yeah. Costco's big time might have to get a sponsorship from them. But besides getting your first shot blocked into the Hollywood Hills, what would your favorite UCLA memory be? Um, I, I think there's probably two that really, uh, I'd say three. I'm going to give you three. Uh, obviously, the first career start against Arizona that I mentioned, uh, I didn't tell my parents I was starting. And they had come down to the game to see my dad cry. Uh, and what, and like this puzzled look on his face as I sat on the bench for, uh, announcements, uh, the Ross, uh, the starting lineup, he was like, why is Sean sitting on the bench? Uh, and then to see him cry as I got introduced was pretty, pretty big moment. Uh, and uh, my dad was very involved in my, uh, my process of, of loving basketball, growing up in basketball, uh, and pushing me to be quite honest, uh, in the sport. So, uh, that was pretty cool. Uh, number two would be senior day. Uh, starting and, and, and scoring my final basket inside Poly Pavilion and just the way the crowd erupted uh, when I scored uh, and then reacted when I was pulled out of the game with about five minutes left to go against Washington. Uh, that was that was pretty cool. Uh, and then last but not least is just starting in the NCAA tournament. I mean, there's nothing better. The NCAA tournament is the event. Um, and when you get an opportunity, you re- you start to realize just by the way, it's just how rare of an opportunity it is to be in the NCAA tournament, how much you should appreciate the opportunity to be in it. Uh, and then to, you know, get announced as a starter in the NCAA tournament with UCLA across your chest, you're like, man, that's, that's pretty cool. And, you know, regardless of what uh, my statistics are uh, as a player, uh, that that's something nobody's ever going to take away from me. I started in the NCAA tournament. Uh, for four games, uh, we were two and two in those games. We got upset, lost in, in my junior year, uh, and then got to the Sweet 16 and lost uh, my senior year. Uh, but incredible, uh, incredible memories, uh, incredible amount of pride that I have that I that I started from where I started and I ended uh, where I was actually a starter, uh, and that was pretty damn cool. Um, tell us a little bit about your experience, you know, on the coaching side, you know, when you were assistant coach at Pepperdine, actually one of the youngest coaches, um, assistant coaches in the, in the country at that time. What was, what was that kind of like? It was a huge challenge. I mean, I was, I was coaching a kid. I dunked on in the state championship game, my senior year in high school. Uh, so I mean, he he was actually older than me. Um, and so that was kind of hard to gain the respect of the players at that time. Uh, I think I did an okay job at it. I don't think I did as well as I possibly could have, uh, but I think I did the best I could in that moment. Like looking back on it, I was like, man, I could have done that differently or I should have done that differently. Um, but I would say that that I learned more about the game of basketball in that one year uh, than I did in any other year uh, that I've played or since then. Uh, I was fortunate to play, uh, to coach with a guy by the name of Jan Van Bredikoff, uh Butch Van Bredikoff's son, 
uh, legendary coach, obviously in the NBA, but Jan was a great coach himself. And uh, the amount of defense that we, we would change and how we would twist and change defenses four times up the court uh, and how our guys understood that that's what we were going to do when they were able to execute it, I think was, was pretty big time. Um, I think that you also look at like the opportunity uh, to just see the game from a coach's perspective is, is, is dra- dramatically different. The recruiting process, all the various things in, that come along with that role, uh, I think was a, a great benefit for me uh, in my current position, uh, but also just in better appreciation for the game. Um, it was it was a fun process. I would have liked to stay in it, uh, but I'd gotten engaged. Uh, and when he left Pepperdine after that first year that I was with him, he, he went to only in New York and St. Bonaventure. And I was going to either go with him or I was hoping that maybe I'd be able to stay on at Pepperdine. And I put all my eggs in hoping to stay on at Pepperdine. Uh, that didn't happen. So that's what, that's what kind of pushed me into the TV world um, that I got into and now I've been into now for, you know, 22 years. So it was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, it, was, it was some really good players. Brandon Armstrong went to play in the NBA. Uh, for a little bit, um, but we we were a really good team, twenty four nine that season. Uh, and had we not lost, and that's the difficult thing, the WCC tournament at that time was held on campuses, and it was held on San Diego's campus. And San Diego at that time was a good team in the WCC, and we lost to them in our first round game, which was like the quarterfinal game of the tournament. And because we lost in that opening round in a, in a, in a, in a road environment that was labeled neutral because it was a conference tournament, uh, we didn't make the NCAA tournament. We were just on the outside looking in. Yeah, Sean, you've told me how much coach Jim Herrick means to you on and off the court. What would you say is your favorite uh, coach Herrick story? I think, I think, you know, there's, there's certain moments that you always remember, you know, I remember the first time I called him, uh, when his name was on the back of that business card, they said, Hey, call coach Eric next night. I thought maybe he was going to invite me to coach his camp. I didn't think he was going to offer me a position on the UCLA basketball team, you know? Um, so, uh, but I just remember I called him and he said, call at 5 PM. And I was like sitting around my house all day long, like shaking, like nervous, just like, all right, come on. I'm like, is it five o'clock yet? We're like, what are we doing? Like, I can't believe I get to talk to Jim Herrick. I mean, they just won the championship, right? They had just won the championship in 95. They'd lost to Princeton uh, in 96, which was my senior year, which is what allowed them to come watch me play in the state championship. Had they won against Princeton, none of this would have happened. That's life, right? Like, that's the, that's the cool part about the story is sometimes from the loss becomes a gain. And that their loss was my gain in this instance. And so I remember I called him at like, 457 because I couldn't wait any longer. I was like, it's close enough. I'm calling. <laughs> and so I called and he goes, Sean Farnham, you just passed the first test, son. You really want to be a Bruin, don't you? And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I really want to be a Bruin, coach. <laughs> um, but outside of that, there was like, there was great moments of him, like when he told me I was going to be put on scholarship. Uh, but I, I always liked the moments that happened at practice. And, uh, there's a couple, there's two stories in particular. One is we, we weren't executing the way we were supposed to execute. We had some wild people on our team, man. We were a lot of crazies, uh, but it was fun. And we kind of were guys were just kind of going through the motion one day at practice and out of nowhere, you know, again, Tony Luffman was our manager and he, Herrick goes, Luffman. And, you know, he sprints out onto the court. Yes, coach, get me a chair. We're like going through our like drills and we're like, what is he talking about? Get him a chair. He takes the chair 
and he sits the chair in the center logo at the UCLA floor. And he sits down at the chair, blows his whistle, and says, on the sideline. Like, what? So we go to the sideline. He's like, I'm tired of watching you guys not practice hard today, so we're just going to run, all right? And we ran. And, I mean, we ran, ran. Like, not like a couple 17s. Like, we did, like, I want to say 10 to 12 17s. He's like, all right, I think that's enough for today. At least we got in better shape. And then he's like, Luffman. Luffman comes running back out. Take the chair. And he takes the chair. And coach goes, bring it in. And we were, we were done. And I was just like, and my, BY, we were all done. We were exhausted. We were like ready to, like, people were passing out, like ready to pass out on the floor. Uh, but it was just kind of like his personality was just that way. Uh, he used to bring out a chalkboard. This is before dry race boards, guys. I, I know you guys, none of you know what a chalkboard actually is. But there was a chalkboard, and you have this, this substance in your hand that looked like a white stick, and it would write on this green board, right? And so every day, Coach Herrick would have these messages on the board, and he'd have our teams as far as who the teams are, and the practice schedule would be written up there. And uh, he had the saying, it was called pride, and I've always remembered this. And he'd say, he'd say guys, pride, a personal responsibility in your daily effort. Like every day when you wake up, you've got to have pride if you want to be a champion. You've got to have pride if you want to be a winner. You have to have pride if you want to accomplish all your dreams and all your goals. You're going to get hoot with the owls. You've got to get up and soar with the eagles. But it's pride, your personal responsibility and your daily effort. And it's, it's funny that, you know, sometimes coaches say things and it just sounds like coach talk, right? Like even me saying it to you guys, are like, ah, that's some coach talk right there. But – it was something that I've listened to and I learned from and I've held on to. And it's almost 30 years later. And I still remember that practice. I remember where the board was. And I remember what he was saying. I was like, yeah, I, I got to have pride. And so every morning when I wake up, I try to wake up with having a sense of pride in my responsibilities that I have to my family, to my job, to myself. Uh, and I think that it, that has served me excessively well. Uh, over the course of my career. You know, that was powerful. I love that story and that acronym. And seeing that you are a UCLA West Coast Pac-10, now 12 guy, I sort are of wanted sure to 12 get... 12 now? Or are we back to 10? Like, are we going to be 8? Or what are, we, what are we doing? Do you know? Like, because I'd really <laughs> like to know. No, I wish I had an answer, but that sort of gets into the question of how do you feel about your alma mater and your rival downtown now joining the Big Ten? Uh, I think from a financial perspective, it, it was the right decision. I think that they they're not um, they're not linked together in that 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 way because USC is not in the financial peril that UCLA is in. But UCLA being in a hundred million dollars in debt, uh, looking at the potential television revenue and the uncertainty of television revenue at the time of this recording, the Pac-12 is not announced. Uh, it's meteor rights deal. Um, and, and I think from Martin Jarman's uh, perspective that he was trying to look out in the best interest of what he felt UCLA needed in order to, uh, maintain its positioning, uh, but also, um, be able to, to keep active in a lot of sports. Like, otherwise you're probably going to see, so you probably see sports being cut at UCLA, which is not something any of us want to see. However, I also don't want to see UCLA playing Rutgers, Penn State, Michigan and, and Ohio State. Like I'd much rather had seen UCLA stay with its natural robberies because for me, uh, when I look back on my memories uh, as being a Bruin, it's it's playing in the McHale Center and understanding how important that Arizona UCLA basketball game is. Um, it's going up to Eugene and 
and playing back in, in the day when we used to play in the old facility, that place was a bandbox, man. That that was crazy to play in a game there. And the way that, that thing looked with the different layers and the old Boston Garden kind of feel to uh, where Oregon was playing. But, you know, Stanford and the bouncing court that they used to have, like when fans actually showed up, which I know is no longer the case. Um but it, it is those those memories and those natural rivalries I think are important. And I think that that's my bigger concern, not just for UCLA and USC making the move out of the conference, but I think for college athletics overall. Uh, you've heard, uh, you know, Mike Gundy say that uh, there's, there's going to be no more bedlam. They're not going to play Oklahoma every single year. That's not good for college athletics, guys. It's it's not. It may be good financially for OU and Texas to make the move to the SEC, but is it good for college athletics? And what makes college athletics different from the professional ranks is that the colors never change, right? Like you could be a LeBron James fan when he was in Cleveland, and then you could follow LeBron to Miami and then back to Cleveland and then now to Los Angeles and be like, dude, LeBron's my guy. I'm just following LeBron. You know, and that's the professional ranks because rosters change and, you know, people move around. Um, if you're a Chris Paul fan, maybe now you're a Warriors fan. I don't know. But I, I know, at least from my son's perspective, when he watches the league, he watches guys he likes to watch more than he watches individual teams. And I think when it comes to college athletics, it's still about the team. It's still about the colors. So... When you're supporting your squad, like now all of a sudden you're like, you're like, wait, what conference are we in? So are we not playing Arizona at Arizona every single week? No, we're not doing that anymore. Oh, okay, cool. So who who's our new rival? I mean, because it's SC, okay, fine. But like, how how do we get excited about like an Ohio State UCLA rivalry? Like, is that going to be a rivalry? No, because to Ohio State fans, they're like, dude, it's the school up north. Like, that's it. Like, it's not like, oh, we're worried about UCLA. Wisconsin fans aren't like, oh, yeah, natural inherent robbery. Similar cities, Wisconsin and L.A. Yeah, no, no, no. That that doesn't – like, so I, I, I have a concern based on that, uh, that we are shifting more into this era, era where with free agency, as far as the transfer portal goes, um, as well as uh, the changing of conferences, that over time, new rivalries will form. Uh, and maybe maybe I'm making too much out of it. Maybe I'm too much on my old man soapbox. But I, I just love the traditional aspects of college athletics, and I love the fact that Oklahoma would play Oklahoma State every single year in football, and it mattered. That was a game that mattered regardless of record. And uh, I think we're losing some of that right now. Now, before Dan gets to his question here, I just want to profoundly thank you for saying the school up north and not their actual name. That means a ton to me. Well, I mean, I just knew that you were on the call, and I didn't want to offend you by saying Michigan. Oh, well, there it is. <laughs> it's like it's like in the Harry Potter world, somebody saying Voldemort. It's like yeah. it's like for him, Michigan. Um, I want to talk to you about your role with coaches versus cancer. Obviously, I know a lot about it, but a lot of people that are listening don't. Uh, why is it so important to you and and sort of your family and your your close circle? Well, I think coaches versus cancer is something I was grateful to be brought into. Uh, I was I was at a game uh, between Oklahoma and Washington in the Grand Garden Arena, and I saw this scrawny little kid trying to dribble a basketball, and I thought to myself, that kid really doesn't know how to dribble a damn basketball. And so I set up some chairs, and I was like, hey, kid, let me help you out here. What's your name? And he said, my name's Daniel Allen. And I was like, oh, nice to meet you, Daniel. And uh, 
So this kid started working on his ball head, and all of a sudden he started looking like a basketball player. And I was like, damn, that kid's going to be okay, I think. He'll be all right. Uh, and then I sit down courtside, and his dad sits down next to me and goes, why'd you help that kid? And I said, well, he was just dribbling basketball. We got some time in between shooter rounds. Why not help him out and I can give him a drill? And he goes, so that's my son. And I said, oh, that's great. And he goes, oh, so tell me about yourself. So we started talking. And about that time, I, my father-in-law had been diagnosed with cancer. And so uh, I told him about that diagnosis and he said, okay, well, you, you want to be part of Coaches versus Cancer. I'd love to have you come out and be part of Lon Kruger's Las Vegas Golf Classic. And I was like, okay, cool. He's like, would you mind like being like one of the co-hosts of it? I was like, sure. Like the first year I had two paragraphs and uh, didn't trust me a lot with the program at that point in time, but I got, I had two paragraphs. Now I basically do the whole thing. Um but that's what opened up the door for me to get involved with coaches versus cancer. And uh, the fight against cancer is something that impacts all of us, whether it's directly or indirectly, uh, family, friends, colleague, uh, somebody that you work with, somebody that you know, so friend's parent, a friend's grandparent. Um, and the losses are hard, you know, and uh, unfortunately, they're too often the losses. Uh, but we, we got to think about the wins that we are able to create through uh, trials and research and all that. My, my father-in-law was given, you know, about five, seven years, uh, and he lived 14 because of, he made himself like the human guinea pig and was like, yeah, I'll try that. I'll try that. And some of them worked and then they stopped working and then the next one would come along and it wouldn't work. And, and so they go find the next one. And then the next one did work and then it didn't work. And all the way to the end, he was willing to try anything and everything to try to get time because time is the most valuable commodity that we have. It's not money. Uh, it's not uh, V-Bucks for Fortnite. Uh, it's, it's not your car. It's literally time. And how you spend that time and what you do with that time is the most valuable commodity that we have. And for him, he wanted to establish relationships with his grandchildren in particular. My son uh, was born uh, the same time. Uh, that he was diagnosed with cancer. And his biggest concern was he was not going to know and have a relationship with his grandchildren. And lo and behold, he got to meet all three of his grandchildren and establish a great relationship with all three of them. And they have a lifelong memory now of their grandfather that they will carry with them for the rest of their lives. And so I'm internally grateful for that time. I wish we had more, um, but I'm thankful for that time. And it's only galvanized my commitment to coaches versus cancer. Uh, to try to make sure that we do all that we can uh, to promote and understand the fight, understand how we can help those within the fight, understanding how early detection, early screening is very important, uh, but also fundraising for those research grants uh, because we have some amazing doctors in the medical field that are that are really way smarter than I could ever imagine being uh, that are that are finding ways to combat cancer and and give us more time. And as long as we continue to get more time. Uh, then, then that's, that's really what the fight is about. Uh, and we want, we want more time with our loved ones. We want less time of pain. Uh, and I think that that's, that's why this, this fight is personal, uh, and like it is for so many. And it's why I will continue to use whatever platform I have, uh, to try to give back to that. That was some powerful words there. Um, into more lighter stuff as your time as an analyst, what was the your favorite town that you've visited since since becoming an analyst? I mean, well, that's a given, guys. I mean, if you've paid any attention to the games that I call, it's Spokane. Uh, I mean, because Gonzaga is just an elite level program 
that has elite level players every single year. Uh, and then they named food after me at the hotel that I stay at all the time, which is, by the way, greatest hotel ever, the Davenport Hotel in uh, in Spokane, Washington. Uh, but uh, no, I mean, I think I think it is actually Spokane. Um, I'd say Lexington is probably a close second. Uh, I, was, I was fortunate enough to be on Super Tuesday for a couple of years, especially during that time where Carl Anthony Towns, Devin Booker and that team uh, was going on their rip of 38 and one that season. Uh, to be there throughout the course of that in Lexington, just unbelievable. See 20,000 plus people show up every night. Didn't matter who they were playing. Every night, 20,000 people, crazy. Losing their mind, living and dying. They'd be up by 10. They felt they should be up by 20. They'd be pissed. Like, it's the most amazing thing ever. I mean, like how basketball is viewed in Lexington, Kentucky versus how it's viewed like pretty much everywhere else in the world. Like, it's just different. Uh, so I think that makes Lexington uh, a really special place. Plus, they've got a great steakhouse, Tony's Steakhouse, right there by the hotel. Really good sear ahi tuna tartare uh, that, that you definitely have to try if you ever go there. Uh, but really super great place. Uh, but but Gonzaga is pretty unique because it's it's very similar to Lexington, but in a very different way because it's such a small community. You have a, a smaller venue, but yet the passion of that venue is insanely unique. Um and there's no there's no football, so the the biggest show in town is basketball, and it's the men's basketball team. The women's basketball team reaps benefits of that as well. But it is the men's basketball team, and what Mark Few's been able to accomplish in this small little school in the middle of nowhere, Eastern Washington, uh, has been truly remarkable. And the consistency in which they perform at, I mean, every season now they start the year. The question isn't can we win the WCC and go to the NCAA tournament. The question has simply become, is this the year we win a national championship? And some years the answer is yes from the start, and other years the answer is, nah, I don't know. Uh, but every year they, they kind of throw their hat in the ring and say, hey, we're going to get close. And if they win a national championship, if Mark Few wins a national championship at Gonzaga, uh, he will have capped off uh, and made a statement for that program. And I always think he's at the elite level. I think that program's at an elite level based on its consistency. But there'd be nothing left at that point in time. Like to win a national championship there uh, would be just one of the best accomplishments in college basketball history. And it's something that they've earned over time. Uh, and I think that's almost unfair that the bar has been set to that level for Mark and the program is it's national championship or bust. Uh, but I think that's also where you want it to be. And I think he'd tell you that's where he wants his program to be. Uh, because if you're not at that level, that means that you're you're way behind that level and you're trying to catch up to be at that level. But they, the way they schedule, the way they play, the consistency, uh, the uniqueness of that environment, I think, is, is pretty cool. Yeah, I'm sensing a common theme here on the show, too. We got uh, the tuna tartare, the chicken breast earlier, your dish in Spokane. If we're uh, taking up too much time and you got to get to lunch, you can just let us know. No, I'm good. I, I got plenty of time, man. It's only 1038 where I'm at. So like, I've already had my breakfast. I'm good to go. Yeah. Yes, sir. But sort of wanting to pick your brain, seeing you're very accomplished in your professional career. What would you give to someone out there who's listening, who wants to get in sort of the sports broadcasting journalism sphere, like one piece of advice? Yeah, be authentic. Be authentic to who you are. Uh, I think, the, you know, we, we end up watching a lot of people on television, uh, whether it's Dick Vitale, Stephen A. Smith, um, you know, I'm just a couple of guys from ESPN that, that are, are really household names, uh, Scott Van Pelt. Um, but they are one of one. They are not, you know, one of 10. You know, there's not another Dickie V. 
Um, and I know he's fighting cancer right now. And that's, you know, that prognosis that we just got is uh, something that all of us that are his colleagues, his friends, uh, we pray for Dick and we hope that, that he's going to come out victorious on, on this fight. And I know that he will battle it and give it all he's got. Um, uh, but you know, if I go on air and all of a sudden you're watching me and I'm going, Oh baby, you can't be serious. Like you're going to be like, dude, why is this guy trying to be Dick Vitale? You know? Uh, so I think authenticity is always the best. Like, who are you as a real person, as a broadcaster? What do you want your voice to be? How do you want to project who you are? Um, you know, my style of, of how I, how I do what I do is I try to bring the highlights, the best of the, the, the stories for the student athletes. I want to tell their story as much as possible. Uh, I'm a pretty high energy person. If anybody knows me, uh, I like to smile. I like to enjoy myself. There are others that want to, you know, break down X's and O's and, you know, their former coaches and that's what their strength is. And they, fine. That's great. That there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with what I'm doing. There's nothing wrong with what they're doing. But be authentic to who you are. So know your strengths and weaknesses. <clears throat> Placate to your strengths more than you placate to your weaknesses. And that probably puts you in a situation to be beneficial. And in the meantime, get as many reps as you possibly can. Because if you're not getting reps, you're not getting better. Uh, I go back and I'll look at some of my first broadcasts. And I'm like, man, I was awful. How did anybody ever employ me? You know, but then, you know, you get better. And you get, with consistency, you get better. And that's that's been one of the biggest things. Well, I'm super excited uh, for Jack to come up to Eugene here in the next couple of weeks. Uh, can you talk about the importance? You know, it's, for people that are watching the YouTube version, Sean's rocking a polo, an organ polo. Um, so that's obviously great. Um, but I want to ask if you could talk about the importance uh, sports has in your relationship with your son, Jack. Uh, I think that, you know, in life you have to compete every day. Uh, and sports is the best uh, form to compete. And I think that everybody's journey is different. My son's journey is different than mine. Uh, and I wanted, I wanted him to be able to go on his own journey, his own path, and find his own way. Um, and when the opportunity came for him to be a walk-on for Oregon's basketball program, uh, I saw a light click on in my son that I haven't seen in a long time. And I think a lot of that had to do with COVID-19 being so disruptive to his high school years. Uh, so disruptive to really everyone's life. But I think in particular, if you were in high school or in college during that period of time, like you guys were, it completely changed your interaction, your ability to make relationships, your friendships, um, experience college or experience high school in the way in its truest form of what it's supposed to be experienced with. Um, And living in California, it was very difficult. Uh, And so for him to have this opportunity uh, I'm very excited for him because he can't wait to do anything and everything possible to help Oregon win. And he just keeps telling me, Dad, I think we have a chance for Oregon to maybe win a national championship this year. Like, I look at our freshmen, Dad. I've been watching video of all these guys, you know, uh, KJ Evans, you know, Jackson Shellstead, uh, Cook, and, you know, watching the movie uh, Shooting Stars and being like, oh, look, he's playing LeBron. You know, like – and then he's like, oh, dad, did you, did you, by the way, you know, and follow Dante's back and, you know, and, and oh, do you see this transfer we just got? Like everybody that got transferred in, he, he would like go watch film on him and be like, oh, our team's going to be good, dad. Like people can sleep on our team. They can talk about what Colorado has returning or UCLA getting a bunch of foreign kids or Ronnie James and Isaiah Collier going to USC. He's like, I, I believe Oregon's going to win. And I think when, when Dana and he gets up there in a little bit over a week from now 
And I think when Dan and the guys see him, what they're going to see is somebody that really doesn't care about anything other than how can I help the team win. And I think that's going to bode really well for him, not just uh, at Oregon, uh, but I think it's also going to bode well for him when he graduates there too. I mean, he's coming in as a sophomore because of all of his AP units. Uh, he has, he already has 32 units, uh, before he even shows up on a campus. So, uh, I'm extremely proud of him and his journey. Uh, and I cannot wait November 6th to be at T-Mobile arena, uh, to see him in layup lines. And I know that's probably all he's going to do that day. And then maybe rebound some balls and sh- pass it out to shooters. Uh, but to see him in that uniform, uh, to, to see him part of that team is, is super awesome. Uh, and we've got the Oregon flag flying in the backyard. Um, and, and I'm really proud of his commitment too, because he was, he's pretty skinny. Um, and he's put on almost 20 pounds, uh, since he got the opportunity to, to be a walk on on the team and he's worked out and done the Oregon workouts that were sent to him every single day, uh, has never, never missed one day and has been diligent at trying to make sure he's at his personal best to be able to help the team in any way and every way possible uh, for them to be successful. And it's, it's been a lot of conversation between me and him, you know, um, his walk on scenario is a little different than mine. Um, but uh, I, I told him, I said, listen, I said, it's, it's a role of servitude. The, the, being a walk on is a role of servitude. There'll be days you stand on the sideline for two hours as the starters and the main guys that are playing are going to be out there. So then that means after practice, you need to grab, uh, you know, Daniel Allen and get up 300 <laughs> shots. And you need to do extra sprints after practice and you need to do extra time in the weight room on those days because you need to make sure that if for any reason you were called upon or you had to step into a practice because someone sprained an ankle and all of a sudden now you're out there at practice, that you're not going to go out there and practice after not practicing for two weeks and not be able to run, not be able to get up shots, not be able to give a good look on the scout team to your starters. And I said, and that's, that's your biggest responsibility. And, and he gets that and he understands that. Um, and you know, he was, he's, you know, you, you guys know this. I mean, being around college basketball, little things excite people. So when he got the text message from the uh, director of basketball operations, what shoes do you want to have this year? <laughs> like he was so excited and he's going through the list and he's picking out the Kobe eights and you know, the Sabrina Ionescu ones, the jaws. And he's going, Oh, these are my top three. And the whole team, by the way, is on this thread of like what shoes you want. And he's just getting excited about that. He can't wait to see a practice uniform. He can't wait to wear a shirt uh, that has the O on it. uh, The backpack. Uh, He's excited for every aspect of it. And I think that attitude of gratitude is going to serve him very well when he gets up there. And I think it's, I think he's going to help the team. Uh, And and I told him, I said, you're going to help the team, but not just because you know, you're not going to be on the court playing because if if you're playing kid, like things have gone seriously wrong. Um, (laughs) But it, you know, you're going to help the team based on your attitude, uh, your support. And I think with, with leadership, like in Dante is going to bring to this year's Oregon's team uh, and, and why he came back and why he's there and what they, what the goal is. I think that it's going to, he, he's going to fall in alignment with that. And I think it's going to be really good. You know, definitely a big Oregon stand. That's my PAC 12 team, obviously because of Dan and, uh, Definitely rooting for him in every game, but hate to be the bearer of bad news, but I can already see it. November 25th, down in Florida, championship in the Emerald Coast Classic. Oregon just came off a nice win against Santa Clara. The Buckeyes beat the Crimson Tide in a shootout. And unfortunately, that will be the one night where I will have a nice smile on my face and gladly be happy at an Oregon defeat. But 
besides that, definitely a big ducks guy. Yeah, that's okay. If if, if there's if there's one game, that I love you how don't by the way he's already us, said I, that Alabama's okay. going to lose. Uh, can we send that to Nate Oates real quick? Uh, like, make sure you clip that off for me, Daniel. I'll send that to Nate <laughs> Oates and say that there's a Buckeye guy associated with the basketball program saying that they're guaranteeing a victory already. And we'll put make sure I get that down to Tuscaloosa when my daughter goes on her unofficial visit or official visit down to Alabama soccer. I'll draw. I'll hand deliver that video to them. <laughs> hey, just, just predicting a Buckeyes Ducks matchup. All right. All right. Um, well, one more question uh, we had for you, Sean. We wanted to know, in your opinion, what is your Mount Rushmore of college basketball analysts of all time? Ever? Oh, well, that's uh, – I mean, first of all, it starts with Dickie V. Nobody ever has, nobody ever will promote the game of college basketball better than Dick Vitale, period. I You guys aren't old enough to remember, but – he used to have VHS videotapes, and for you young whippersnappers, that's that's like this 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 cassette that was probably about this big, and you'd actually have to put it into a machine and actually press play because there wasn't even remote controls to to press play. You actually had to physically press play, and uh, he used to have all these videos, like his Rolls Roycers, his his PTPers, and all of. I mean, my man had videos, like literally of just him selling college basketball, and people bought it every single year. And his promotion, his love, his passion for the game, uh, I think has just exceeded what anybody else ever will and can do for the sport of basketball. I don't think college basketball is what it is without Dick Vitale. Um, in the same likeness, I think Bill Rafferty uh, is is a very close second. Uh, Raff is just synonymous with the game. You know, send it in Jerome, uh, onions, uh, all of those things, uh, and and the the love that they have, and the ability, in particular, seeing Raf on Big East games. Like I, I remember growing up on the West Coast, and you guys know Big Monday is it was is a big deal, and the Big East used to be part of Big Monday before they left ESPN. And some of those games, and listening to Raf on the call, uh, just elite uh, with his feel and and ability to be creative and have fun. Um, I just think that that they, it's second to none um, when you think about uh, his longevity and what he's been able to accomplish in his career. I mean, those two guys right away jump off the page. Uh, I think, obviously, uh, Jay Billis in the role that he's in right now, uh, the way the game has evolved, the way the game has changed, uh, I think that Billis has uh, created an incredible platform for himself um, in his, his love of the game, uh, and the way that he does it. And he does it in a different style, again, authentic to who he is. You know, he's, he's not afraid to be more critical. It's not so much, you know, uh, Dickie V celebrating the game. It's, it's him being more critical of certain moments in that game. And I think that that's, that's part of who he is, which makes him authentically elite, uh, in, in how he does it. And, and I also think that Fran Fraschilla would probably be on there as well. I think Franny, uh, and the way he coaches the game from the broadcast table. You know, and again, it's different. Like, I wouldn't do what Fran does. I, I'm not going to do what Jay Billis does. But I do appreciate the way that they do it. And I think that Fran's ability, as far as his background knowledge, his preparation and understanding. I mean, if you really listen to Fran in certain moments, like, he'll tell you the play before the play is even done. Like, they'll come out of a timeout, and he will know exactly what play they're running out of the timeout. And the only way you do that is through an insane amount of preparation of seeing the team in that moment, understanding the play that they go with, uh, and then watching them go out and try to execute that in that moment. And, and by the way, you could be wrong, but if you're wrong, you're wrong. 
but he knows, I mean, he, he's, he's right more than he isn't. And, and that goes to the preparation and, and understanding of the love of the game. Yeah, that was unbelievable. I think our viewers and listeners have had unbelievable feedback and advice from you, Sean. So we thank you so much for, for joining on the show with us. That's no problem. It's a pleasure to be with you guys. I can't wait, Daniel, to see you up in uh, Eugene here uh, in a very short period of time. Uh, it's going to be uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. I expect you to look after him. I expect you to make sure he gets all his shots up that he needs. Uh, I expect that if he needs to run a little bit of conditioning, you'll tell him, "Hey, you need to run a little bit of conditioning." You got to be my eyes and ears on the ground, especially since you've got my number. I expect to get updates. Uh, I expect when the photographer's there from the media department that we we make sure we get at least a couple shots a day of Jack in the green uh, practice uniform, so we can put it up on the grand the brand, so uh, uh, we can uh, hopefully get that NIL deal going and get some get some ends. So uh, these are all things I'm putting on your plate, Daniel, and uh, don't let me down. Well, there's no no pressure there. Uh, <laughs> try to fulfill that as best as I can. I know um, you will. Thank thank you so much again, Sean, and and uh, thank you everybody for listening. As always, PPP out. Peace. <laughs>